What's up, Space Cadets? Before we get started on our show today, I wanted to remind you to hit that subscribe button so you do not miss a single episode. Enjoy your trip to outer space. Who's going to pay for LaShawn McCoy? Uh, how do you say his name? Azigbo? So Rich kind of knew that going ahead, and, and yeah, and he won that bet. Sorry, guys. Yeah, but no one's got longer arms than Aaron Jones. Have you seen those things? Your host this week, I'm Austin Brooks at Hot Take Brooks on the Twitters. And our normal host, Michael Tal Richer, the fourth, he is not going to be able to be with us today because he is preparing for boards because he's a chiropractor, aka a fake doctor. And so he's going to be doing that um, for sure tonight, maybe for our next episode, hopefully not, but maybe for next episode just because we want to make sure that he passes boards so that he has an income because I guess money is important. And However, <laughs> I have a special treat for you guys tonight. I have the one and only at whatever Galio, whatever it is on Twitter, <laughs> Benjamin Leong, Doctor Benjamin Q. Leong. Ben, how you doing? I'm doing well. Yeah, very rock. So, you guys, um, one, this is our second take because I forgot to turn Ben's mic on whenever we were recording, and two, because I was just so excited. Because I get to spend the whole weekend with Rish and Ben. So the whole weekend, all we did was sit. I, first of all, I drank a lot of horchata, which I've never drank before. And it was really up and good. So I drank a whole half gallon of it at Rish's house. Oh, you've never had horchata before? I don't think I've ever. Yeah, I don't think I've ever. I think I've tasted it before, but I've never just sat and drank horchata. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, it was so good. And uh, I actually got a little bit of chocolate sauce or chocolate syrup that I put. Because I tried to make chocolate horchata, which I don't think is a thing. But I was just like, you know, chocolate milk. You guys got it? Um, and I got it on my clothes, which was a bummer. But we played a bunch of board games. We played Exploding Kittens. We played, what was the Santorini, this uh, other board game that was a lot of fun. And then we played this game that I bought called Rising Sun, which is set in feudal Japan, and it was insane. We got really into it. It was a lot of fun. Ben, you want to tell them about it? Oh, yeah. So uh, Rising Sun is probably my favorite long play game. Uh, it's like Risk and Seven Wonders kind of put together. So um, a really cool um, game where it changes every time you play. Um, you can play as different characters with different powers and all that kind of stuff. So um, a ton of fun. And the, I think the thing that made it so awesome was that Brooks actually went to Japantown and bought himself a kimono. And so the whole time we were playing with, you know, just really authentic vibes coming from Brooks. Just hanging out in his kimono, totally commando. Um, Definitely. And, uh, just... Yeah, set, set crisscross up sauce just for you guys. Yeah, good, good times, good times. Yeah, so we had a lot of fun. Uh, Rich sucks. I don't think he ever won a game. Um, me and Ben dominated him, and that's all that matters because he's not on the episode today, so we can say that. <laughs> but oh yeah, I was gonna tell you Ben. After that, I had to carry on that um, Japanese hat, so I bought one of those hats that looks like uh, Raiden in Mortal Kombat, and uh, obviously Ben knows, but you guys at home don't, and so. It's the most flimsy, like, it, it could be crushed at any time. So I had to make two more flights after that. And because of that, I had to carry it on. And I was just constantly living and worried that so it was going to get destroyed. But also, people were just loving it. People wanted to know why I had that stinking hat. And it was really awkward carrying around at first. But after so many people just started asking me about it, I was really getting into it. So I had actually worked out this whole backstory about how I had just come back from three years of coaching American football in Japan, and I learned a bunch of Japanese football team names and was going to pretend like I was a uh, Japanese football coach. But I didn't get asked enough, so after I built up that whole backstory, I was already home. Unfortunate. So, yeah, now you, got something, now you got something in the future, though. Heck yeah. yeah. So tonight we are going to be talking about some running back backfields. Since uh, Rish is gone, we didn't name the uh, segment, which is our fault, but also because Dad is gone, so the kids to play and um we are going to cover some backfields that we think are uh have a little bit of crowdedness or confusion potentially either with new guys coming in or um just a, maybe it's a really crowded backfield so we only want to cover teams that we think are relevant uh, which basically means not the dolphins and uh, a couple other backfields that we're going to cover because i think it's really like for for an example we're not going to cover the the cowboys so we're not going to cover the Giants or the Cowboys. So, like, obvious backfields that have a set go-to running back that you have no questions about. And we're not going to cover some teams like Kansas City, 
Indianapolis, the Titans, uh, those teams kind of have their backfields seemingly set because they didn't make any additions and they still have guys on the roster who did it the year before. So those are the kind of situations that we're weeding out. And we're going to cover the Ravens, Browns, Pats, Broncos, Eagles, Bills, Rams, Vikings, Niners, Saints, Seahawks, Packers, Lions, Bucks. In no particular order because I just made them up as I was thinking about it on the play. Any other, any other ones that we missed? No, let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So for the Ravens, we've got Mark Ingram, who is coming in from the Saints. Uh, as a free agent, he was signed by the Ravens. And then we have Justice Hill, who is just signed. Uh, he's a running back out of Oklahoma State. And we got uh, the Gus Bus, who's going to stay on after. Is, what's his contract like, Ben? Do you know? Uh, I don't know. He's a UDFA, so. So, yeah, Gus is there, and then Kenneth Dixon might still be there, too. So, But, but yeah. I, think, I think that all those old guys that have been on the roster, because they've kind of not, not addressed their running their backfield for a couple seasons now, and this seems like the first season they're actually going to dedicate some resources to it. So I don't think some of those other guys are going to be too relevant. But, I mean, you never know. With Mark Ingram, Ben, what are your thoughts on the splits for this backfield, and do you, wh- who do you think is going to be the, the lead back, and uh, how do you see this one playing out for fantasy purposes? Yeah, so I think Mark Ingram is a pretty obvious um, league going to be the starter there. Uh, they're paying him about $5 million a year. Um, and he's such, I think he's a really good fit with Lamar Jackson and what they want to do, um, just being able to run the ball up the gut and play power football. Um, that's just the way um, the Harbaugh's play, and Greg Roman in particular likes to, to run his backfields. Um, and so, yeah, Mark Ingram will be the guy there. Um, and I think maybe we'll see like a 70-30 split with um, one of the other guys. So. Mark Ingram should get a lot of the touches. And if he's going to give any touches, a lot of those will be to Lamar. So, yeah, it's, I think it's totally fair to be excited about Mark Ingram. I think RB15 is is kind of the, the low end. Yeah, the, the like baseline target that you want there. Um, but he could break into the top 10 pretty pretty easily. You know, uh, one might call it a floor. One might call it a floor, but it, that doesn't really capture the essence of it. Because, I mean, Mark Ingram would just tear his ACL. And so then what do you do? You lower the floor. <laughs> right. So um, I would say we we're talking Justice Hill. He's, to me, he was, I really liked him a lot as a prospect. And I think Philip Lindsay was a, a, a natural comp, just a, you know, a fast, quick guy who could, um, but he's probably a better pass catcher. But I'm really excited about Justice Hill and kind of bummed that he landed on a Greg Roman offense. And so I think if he was on the Bucks or something like that, you'd get um, pretty pumped about that opportunity. But behind Mark Ingram, I think he's, the, the touches are going to um, not be there for him. And, and so my question mainly about that is you kind of hope to see a Alvin Kamara, Mark Ingram situation, maybe with the roles as far as the workload goes, flipped a little bit where Mark still carries more of the touches, but um, Justice Hill can act as the pass catching um, electricity back, right? The thunder and the lightning. Yeah. Um, and so the, the problem with that would be just that Greg Roman like doesn't know how to do that. He's <laughs> not a passing game guy at all. Um, and his schemes, wherever they've been, with the Niners or with the Ravens or with whoever, they've always struggled. And so um, I'm not too excited about Justice Hill's prospects. Um, but I think if, you know, you're you're guessing that maybe like a 29 or 30-year-old Mark Ingram struggles a little bit, gets hurt um, or something like that, and then Justice Hill comes in and, and he can, he can uh, develop on his own pretty well there. So I think another factor that you can throw in with the Ravens is that they're really dedicated to this idea of a, a mobile quarterback, which is, I think is really interesting and unique because we haven't really seen any team fully dedicate to a dual threat quarterback. So do you think that'll cut into anybody's opportunities? Uh, yeah, so they'll build it the way they built it around Kaepernick where you're limited on third and 15 and you're going to lose if you ever get in that situation. But other than that, you're multiple and you can play anything um, in terms of the run game. So... They'll, they'll be heavy with the fullback and they'll flex around there. And so, but I mean, touch wise, I think uh, you'll see Lamar getting 10 carries a game um, because, it, I mean, Lamar could be the best running back in the league if he just played tailback. Mm-hmm. He's he's a legit, like, 4 2 guy. So, yeah, I think it will. I, I think it'll cut down a little bit of the carries. So, I think anytime you fa- say, like, a, you, I think you said a 70 30 split, I think you have to ma- mark down to like a 65 25 10 split. And yeah. that 10 being Lamar, if not even a little bit higher than that, which is it's not a big deal, but it, it is it definitely detracts from your opportunities. 
I think Mark yeah. won't be used in the passing game as much as he was. Uh, obviously, he won't be used as much in the passing game as he was with the Saints, uh, which definitely detracts from some of his value. But I just don't think Mark Ingram's a very talented running back. Uh, I, but I do think, how, where do you see him fitting tier-wise? Like uh, upper RB1, mid RB1, low RB1, upper RB2, mid RB2, low RB2. Yeah, I got him as a high RB2. Okay. That's how I would have him too. I, I don't see how he can, without the receptions, I don't see how he can sustain any anything higher than that. Yeah. I, I mean, what's more frustrating than... Uh, goal line vultures and like Lamar exactly. Jackson, the ultimate goal line vulture. So absolutely, and they yeah. have a, they will even have a lot of great receivers down on the goal line too. Um, what's his name? The tight end from Oklahoma. Oh, Mark Andrews. I don't think I don't know any of their receivers now. They've replenished that whole. They've yeah. they picked up a bunch of receivers this year in the draft. Yeah, Marquise Brown and Miles Boykin. So we'll see. I, I mean, I'm not buying any of those receivers either. So yes, tell me about the Browns, man. So the Browns have Chubb, Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, who's on suspension for the first eight games, right, Ben? Yeah. And then you got Duke Johnson. Uh, so for sure this backfield is all Nick Chubb starting off the season, right? Yeah, I mean, it's got to be. <laughs> but the question is, by week eight and moving in, through, no, it's basically going to be going into your fantasy playoffs, is it still Nick Chubb's backfield? I, I think it is. I, so to me, the whole thing is really interesting. Because Kareem is elite. Kareem is an excellent tailback, and it's totally arguable that um, Kareem could be better than, than Chubb, or you could see it that way. But I think that by that time, Chubb will be so cemented into the offense that if they split anything, it'll be more like a 60-40 type look. Um, what, what would have to happen for Chubb not to be able to have that? Injuries. Okay. That's the only thing. Yeah, I, Yeah, I think so. I agree. I, I think he's talented, right? Yeah. The, the the problem is Kareem's only on uh, how many years is Chubb? He's got two left on his contract, maybe three. His rookie contract. He should be three, yeah. Should be three years. Kareem is on a one-year deal, $1 million, pretty cheap. And uh, he's a hometown guy. It's the same GM who drafted him whenever he was in Kansas City. So it, all, all of that stuff made sense. But I don't know if it's practical to assume that Kareem can produce this year for fantasy. He definitely, sh in my opinion, he should not be drafted. He shouldn't even shouldn't even take a flyer on him. It's a waste of a roster spot. Take somebody else. However, if you're in keepers or, or dynasties, you absolutely are keeping him. Either, unless you can get a great trade, you have to keep up, keep him and, and rely on that talent to land somewhere. Um, and now the concern is, for me, is when Hunt comes back, does he cut into Duke's uh, Duke Johnson's workload at all? Which, if you're having to rely on Duke Johnson as a producer, then you probably have some issues. But as a flex play, he can make a lot of sense. He's very talented. In my opinion, he's one of the best receiving backs in the league as far as hands and route running. What do you think on Duke's role once Kareem comes back? I think that they'll have to trade Duke before the eight games. Or Kareem. Uh, yeah. Okay. See, I don't think they'll trade Kareem because he's only got a $1 million one-year deal. But... I mean, some team really needs a running back by week eight. It could make a lot. It could be a great, great move. And I think the Browns are are willing to shoot the gun. And, and it's been really unique. I feel like the NFL has really changed over the last two seasons as far as their willingness to trade skill players. Which was, it's it feels more like the NBA if that's a set of fair comparison. Yeah, it's getting better and better, more fun. I, I love it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Our thoughts are essentially Chubb's going to dominate the backfield. Kareem won't be able to usurp unless there's injuries. And um, there will be a genuine issue with both Hunt and Duke. One of them will, will eat the other by the time he comes back from uh, from his suspension. Sound right? Yeah. How about the Pats? So we have Sony Michelle, first-round draft pick last year. And then you got White, who is an RB1 last year. And then they just went and drafted a running back um, – uh, Alabama. Do you, do you have anything, any thoughts on him? Yeah, I mean, I like Damian Harris. It kind of bummed they landed there, so you can't get too much excitement for him. He's a handgaff guy. So um, if Michelle goes down, which Michelle's got any issues, um, Damian can step in and be just like Michelle, I think. He's almost as talented as Michelle. So, um, And then I think White will retain his role kind of no matter what happens there. So, Talk so, to me about your James White comparison, because yeah. that was really 
So I took James White and I compared his numbers to Duke Johnson. So Duke Johnson, whenever he had his role with uh, Crowell and with the Browns in what, 2016, 2017? Mm -hmm. 2017? I, I put it on Twitter. So if you follow me on Twitter, go check that real quick because it's a great statistical comparison. Uh, basically, Duke Johnson and James White had very similar, if almost identical, uh, numbers when they were the guy in their receiving role. However, once... Nick Chubb was drafted by the Browns. Duke took a major hit, lost a lot of opportunities, and all of his numbers went down, pretty much cut in half. I think that James White is going to get phased out. I don't think that he's going to be the same guy I, um, that you saw last year. I, I would be very concerned with him. If I was an owner, I'd be trying to sell high on him now. Um, I, wouldn't, I won't spend a lot of capital on him in redrafts because I think Damian Harris is coming for his job. Uh, I don't think that that's – I think what the Patriots want to do, and we've talked about this, Ben, I think what the Patriots want to do is have a back who does it all. They, I don't think they want to have to switch in backs as a gadget. Uh, I don't think they want to have to put in a different guy for each situation. They want a guy who does every situation all at once. So that way teams can't be tipped off with what they're trying to do. Uh, so my concern is that James White is going to get phased out because he's been such a, a niche guy. And Sony Michelle and Damian Harris will kind of have a one-two role. If not, one of them will completely take over and be the go-to guy with like an 80-20 type role for the other two backs. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that I'm buying that, but I mean, that's your theory, so roll with it. I, so the, the, the thing that's interesting is the player comparison between Duke and James, and that, that is a similar situation. I, I don't think that anyone can deny that. A couple of years ago, uh, like Danny Woodhead was a top 10 running back as well. And that's, that's kind of what you're looking at is, can you trust these satellite backs to produce repeatedly? And I think, you know, to bet on James White, you have to be betting on an exception, that, that he is an exceptional back um, in terms of being the satellite guy that can produce fantasy-wise repeatedly. So, The Denver Broncos have Philip Lindsay, Mr. Freeman, Morgan Freeman, I believe that's his name, right? Yes. <laughs> is that Devonta Booker? Yeah, that's Devonta Booker. I didn't know he was on the roster, so... You've got Morgan Freeman, Phil, yeah. Phil P. Lindsay, yeah. and uh, Devonta Booker. So, obviously, Lindsay was a, uh, an undrafted guy last year, absolute phenom, hometown Colorado State guy, and blew up the Denver backfield. He did a wonderful job. Smaller guy, very fast, always falls forward, which is one of my things that I love about him. Extremely, extremely agile. However, for, you know, Morgan Freeman... He was pretty high draft capital guy. He's coming. Is he from? He's a Pac-12 guy. Is he from Oregon? Yeah, Rolls Royce. Royce G. Morgan Freeman. Uh, he he was a high draft capital guy that we thought. I, I mean, Rich was all in on uh, Royce Freeman. Yes, he was. Yeah. And obviously, that bit him in the butt whenever you and I had all the Lindsay shares. As I'm editing this, I want it to be known that I own Philip Lindsay in almost every single league that I'm in with these two, so that is factually incorrect. And then, I don't know that much about the book. Is that a signing? No. Was he already on the roster? He, he might not be, and I you know I just had him on there as a note. Okay. He was there last year, so I don't know if that was a contract year or not. But So, the main thing is, you've got Lindsay and Freeman, you got to sort that out. And so, what people are finding is, or what I'm seeing a lot of is people will say, oh, Royce Freeman is the guy to own because the new regime is not attached to Lindsay at all and they invested draft capital in Royce, which is wrong to assume that because the, the, the guys that invested the draft capital in Royce, I mean, those guys are gone too in that sense. So that, that doesn't matter, right? <laughs> Basically, what we're looking at is, this is, in my opinion, this is Lindsay's backfield. Because Lindsay is like a total stud, and Freeman is the change of pace back, basically. And and you're going to see a 60-40 split in that sense, um, favoring Lindsay, though. See, I really think that's an interesting narrative, and I've heard it a lot. And i got to be honest, Morgan Freeman is a great narrator. So that's the concern there. Will we end up with a narration from Morgan Freeman? Or will Philip Lindsay be able to turn the tides of Hollywood history and be able to be his own narrator and take control of that backfield. I don't know. <laughs> wow. Too, too deep. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. Let's just see what you do when we get to the Falcons. Do we have the Falcons on here? 
Oh, I don't know. Maybe okay. we don't. There's another Freeman over there, so yeah, you got it. Is Devonta? I, I don't know. <laughs> All right, so the Eagles. Eagles got Jordan Howard. They just drafted, so they traded for Jordan Howard, right? Coming from the Bears. Yes. They got Miles Sanders, who they just drafted. Penn State guy. He was behind Saquon Barkley when he was at Penn State. And then you listed the rest. So the reason why, and they used to have JJ, but they got rid of him. He who's now in free agency, and they had this whole slew of other backs that they use situationally. They got Corey Clement, uh, Darren Sproles, who was coming back off injury and is also probably older than Frank Gore? Question mark. What's Smallwood's first name? Uh, Wendell. Wendell Smallwood and then Josh Adams, and so you've got this. It's a it's a Charlie Fox trap. Uh, of a backfield, essentially. And everyone was buying up Jordan Howard shares whenever he first got traded, but now with the Miles Sanders signing, it's uh, no one knows. No one knows. So luckily, we have you, Ben, to tell us how this backfield is 100% going to go. So what are your thoughts? Yeah, so uh, Miles Sanders is going to be the guy. They spent a second-round pick on him, um, so they really like him a lot. The question there is how do they do the split, right? So um, in the past, the Eagles have favored um, going committee, and that's Doug, with Doug Peterson uh, in the post-LaShawn McCoy era. And part of that is because they haven't had the talent to have just the one guy. And the basic question is, is Miles Sanders that one guy? And so a lot of people are ready to get excited about Miles Sanders being the dude, um, being able to be um, the guy that can run and catch and do everything for them. And so you see that on film where he's got the ability to to do all of those things. But I think on, on my end of things, the main question is they, in the past, they've liked the committee and Jordan Howard is such a reliable guy. Um, I, I mean, like when was the last time a rookie came in and just beat out a pro bowler? It's not super common. And we forget how good Jordan Howard is. He's a 25 year old guy with two, 2000 or two, 1000 yard seasons. And he's made the pro bowl. And so I don't think we can just brush him aside that quickly. So I believe Miles Sanders is going to be the guy in that backfield, but you're going to have to account for Jordan Howard taking some of those carries. And I think it'll be significant enough to where Miles Sanders doesn't get higher than an RB2 value. Yeah, I don't think that there is a guy for the Eagles backfield. I think that there's just too many people back there. There's, I mean, if you've seen the, the video, Too Many Cooks, this is pretty applicable. There's just too many different... People in the kitchen and not enough uh, food, not enough whatever, not enough patrons. There's there's way too many people back there for them to come up with reliable fantasy numbers. So I, I just don't trust it. I'd rather go in a different direction. I don't think that it's a bad idea to take him and Miles Sanders being him in or excuse me in dynasties and in um, keepers deep keepers. Because I think that there's potential for him to be an... I, I think he's a legitimate all-around back, as opposed to Howard, who doesn't really have the passing skills to... Or the receiving skills to be able to be that beneficial in the, the passing game. Ooh. So if you're looking for somebody that could potentially be an all-around guy, which, Ben, I think you and I have, agree with this. If you want a great fantasy asset, he needs to be able to do everything. He needs to be able to um, run the ball. You know, He needs to be able to... Um, be downhill when he runs the ball so that he's able to stay on the field in short yardage situations, including in the goal line. He needs to be able to catch the ball out of the backfield, and he needs to be able to have some versatility in his toolkit. And I think Miles Sanders has that, and I don't think Jordan Howard does. That said, Jordan Howard is, as you said, an exceptional back. He's very good. So, And then there's still, I mean, you still have Darren Spoles, Corey Clement. Um, you've, you've got a a good number of other people still in that backfield that are going to be vying for touches. And I just don't see how you can rationalize very much capital into this backfield unless you're just a diehard Eagles fan who knows nothing but Philly Philly. So <laughs> with the Bills, you've got the ageless wonder, LaShawn McCoy, Frank Gore, and then they've drafted, uh, is it, it's Florida Atlantic, right? Devin Singletary. And then uh, Yel they still have, or they just picked up Yeldon too, uh, TJ Yeldon from uh, the Jacks. What so, a mess. what a mess! I know, it, and it really is. So, help me figure out this backfield, Ben. I don't want to have anything to do with this. <laughs> really, no, right, one question before you get started on analysis: yeah. Will they keep Lashawn McCoy heading into the season? Um. Yeah. Sure. I they could trade him, but 
he, he's got a year left and he's old and who wants him? That, I mean, that's the real question, right? Who's going to pay for LeSean McCoy? Yeah. Nobody. I don't know who would unless it's the Rams or someone else who is a serious contender who has the extra capital to make it happen. And the, that list is short. Um, so I'm with you. Yeah, the, there's no real point um, to signing with LeSean McCoy unless someone on your team gets hurt. So. But yeah, Frank Gore kind of muddies everything up everywhere he goes, and so you want to avoid that. Um, but really, you're kind of bummed for Devin Singletary. A lot of people were comping him to LeSean McCoy in the pre-draft process, and so that's kind of, I guess, cool to see that now he's with LeSean McCoy and you get to compare them that way. But um, with Yeldon there, I think that caps his, his um, upside going into the future. So even as a dynasty asset, I'm not that excited about Devin Singletary, mostly because... Now he's got to fight with T.J. Yeldon for stuff. That was my disappointment, too. I think Yeldon is a pretty talented back. Um, I don't think he's elite, but he's good. Um, and he's definitely good enough to get reps. And that's a problem. We don't want that. We want as many reps for whoever it is, this being Devin Singletary, uh, if we want to be able to have some serious fantasy production. So I think my issue is, you're right, so I think that the way to divide this backfield up is it's still LaShawn McCoy's backfield for at least another year. Uh, Frank Gore might get some touches, and he'll be a good mentor for both Devin Singletary and TJ Yeldon. But looking into the future, the question is about Devin Singletary and TJ Yeldon in, what, 2020? So whether or not one of those guys is able to have complete control of that backfield. Is there any chance that one of them comes out on top in 2020 as the guy for the Bills? No. I don't want anything to do with it. Okay. So with the Rams... The, okay, so the Rams might have been on our – I explained earlier that I didn't want to include the Cowboys or the Giants because there was a guy that was already preset and was established. Can you ex, like start breaking down this backfield and explain why we've included the Rams here? Yeah, so it's all about Todd Gurley's knees and, or knee. And um, Wait, What's might, wrong with his knees, man? So he tore his ACL probably four years ago, three, four years ago. That was when he was originally drafted and when the Rams were still in St. Louis. Yes, and and then he disappeared in the Super Bowl, in the playoffs. Um, and C.J. Anderson took over everything. And C.J. Anderson did a phenomenal job and showed you that literally anybody can hop into the Rams offense and be a stud. Um, and so now Todd Gurley is just a hurt guy. And like there's a video of him limping around, walking around in L.A. or something like that. And, you know, you – the concern is real, and to me, it's a it's a 100% legitimate. Like, this is a Jay Ajayi red alert type situation where Gurley, one of the, the greatest backs to come around in the last 10 years, like a generational talent in that sense, Todd Gurley is in trouble. And, and they showed that by making Daryl Henderson, I think, the third running back taken overall. They have those concerns, too. The Rams are built really well as a team. The roster construction is, is pretty um, deep, and they, they don't have a lot of holes. And so it makes sense for them to grab a, a running back, but they went and they made sure to get their guy. Um, so that way, if Todd gets hurt, they have somebody. Um, so they're they're multiple enough, but like Malcolm Brown was there and John Kelly's there, and I actually like both those backs a, a decent amount. Um, but I think Daryl Henderson will be the guy that finds his way on the field first. So. In, in the in the situation of a, a girly injury. Basically, Daryl becomes like the most important handcuff in fantasy football, right? And Gurley, you know, gets knocked down a couple notches. So I like personally I wouldn't be buying Gurley at all anywhere because whatever cost you're gonna pay for him is way too much for that risk. Yeah. Um, and then there's I'd no be way buying. he's gonna drop into where his where you think his value no. is gonna be. There's no there's, and and I would be buying Daryl Henderson everywhere because you have to handcuff not just Todd Gurley if you're a Todd Gurley owner, but you you have to handicap whoever owns Todd Gurley, and you automatically win that matchup um, if he gets hurt in any situation. So why not? So John Kelly was pretty good out of Tennessee, um, kind of coming from the same situation as Alvin Kamara. Why not John Kelly? Uh, so John Kelly's a fifth-round pick, and I, like it's totally fine to like John Kelly, but Daryl would probably be the guy. Just, I think he's a second-round pick, so. I agree, and and what Ben is making his point is that um, he's done some research on your fantasy success and its correlation with where you're picked in the draft. If you guys haven't seen it, he did an article. It's on our website, and it's also he put it up on Twitter. I'm sure I shared it. It's definitely on his Twitter at Jeff Pack Galileo. Uh, if you haven't checked him out, go follow him. 
I messed up it earlier because I messed it up in a previous episode and it was kind of funny. But it, he's got a great analysis on the effects of draft picks and how likely you are to succeed in the NFL. Um, and his point is that John Kelly is a fifth-round pick, and because of that, it's statistically improbable that he will succeed in comparison to, to Henderson. And I agree. And I think that Henderson is somebody that you should be considering. How, how early in redrafts would you pick him? I have no idea. I think I think it comes <laughs> around. Yeah, you got to play tiers here. So seventh round, probably six, seventh. And who's around there? So I would take I, I would take Paul Henderson after I took Jerick McKinnon, or something like that. Right? So you're getting into that um, RB three so, or yeah. Jer- in my opinion, Jerick McKinnon probably isn't RB three, but we'll get to that. In a, we can probably skip to that and do that one next. But yes, yeah, it's, it's that bottom of the RB two, beginning of the RB three. Is that what you're saying? Well, as soon as you hit the handcuffs, right? Daryl Henderson is the most valuable handcuff in fantasy football. Okay. Yeah. So let's go ahead and skip. We'll skip down to the 49ers, and we'll come back to the other ones that we skipped. Um, so you mentioned Jerick McKinnon. So the Niners last year signed Jerick McKinnon to a massive contract. He got hurt before the season and didn't play it down. Then you got Tevin Coleman, who is uh, Shanahan had whenever he was with the Falcons, and now he has him again. And uh, there's the meme that, uh, they were really lucky because they needed a Coleman, someone to play that Coleman type, and um, they think that Tevin Coleman is pretty good at playing that Tevin Coleman type. And then they still got Matt Burita and Rasheem Mostert, uh, who are who've been serviceable whenever there's been injuries for them. So, what do you make of this backfield? Uh, so I think it'll probably be a, mm, they could go probably 40-40-20. Um, I think Tevin and Jarek, you kind of treat them the same. If anything, Jarek. Um, will be more of the pass catching guy, and Tevin will get more of the normal workload. Like personally, I liked Tevin a lot in the pre-draft process, and then was disappointed by his play with Atlanta. Um, and so it'll be interesting to just see, you know, how he performs. Like so, last year Tevin was the lead back uh, with the Falcons, and he didn't really do anything. He produced the same as he did uh, when Devonta Freeman was there. And so I think we've we have seen his upside. And it's as a RB2. And so whatever that, wherever he goes, that's kind of what he is. Um, and Jarek McKinnon, I think, has the opportunity to be kind of like a Devonta Freeman um, if he can um, prove to stay healthy and all that kind of stuff. So Matt Breida, I like a lot too. Um, but again, he's now more of your handcuff guy. And then Raheem is just a uh, special teams guy. So Yeah, I bought cheap on Tevin Coleman. And I think Jarek McKinnon is someone who can also buy cheap. Because, honestly, I want a piece of the 49ers uh, backfield. I think that they can be uh, an elite top-tier backfield. The problem is there's always been injuries, um, especially with Jerick McKinnon. And then, as you've said, with Tevin, he was very disappointing last year. I think that I don't know how much I trust last year um, because I don't really trust uh, Sarkeesian as a OC. And so I, I think that there's some effect on that. But... We'll see. I, but I, I've been buying Tevin Coleman. I think he. I think both Tevin Coleman and Jerick McKinnon are pretty cheap in Dynasty and Keepers, and they're people I would buy because I think that there's a lot of potential there. Yeah, I. so I'd, I'd buy Jerick at his value instead of buying Tevin. I think the upside there is better So because I think they'll end up treating them pretty similarly. I absolutely think that there's no reason not to comp this to exactly what Shanahan did with Devonta Freeman and Tevin Coleman when he was in Atlanta. Fair? Yeah. No, totally fair. I think Jer- I think Jarek is a better runner than what we saw, um, or were we able to give him credit for? Be- mostly because he like when they initially had him running with the Vikings, he was in the Adrian Peterson style offense, and then as soon as they changed that to the Dalvin Cook, you know, setup, then he performed really well. Um, and so I think that's kind of more what we're going to see with the the Niners is Jarek McKinnon has the ability to, de- to develop into a, a de- actually a Devonta Freeman type workload guy. Um, and it's just about health and figuring that out. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that health is the big question. That, that's the only thing that has to do with that whole backfield is who's going to stay healthy. And that's never been a healthy backfield. So we'll see what happens. Let's go back up to, you're talking about Dalvin Cook. Let's check up on the, on the Vikings. So they took uh, Dalvin Cook, or excuse me, they, they have Dalvin Cook, but they took um, Alexander Madison in what this third round? Third round, yeah, yeah. Boise State guy. Uh, do you have any thoughts on Madison? I, I liked Madison. I thought he was like a nice sleeper, and so he he went earlier than than a lot of people thought he was going to go, and so that's that's cool to see. Um, I think he's a true backup there, 
and that Dalvin Cook is their their guy. They just they just know that Dalvin gets injured, and so and they they too are kind of like the Rams, where they feel um, like their team ro- like the roster is pretty well built up, and they really only have like offensive line holes. And so they had they went ahead, they went out and got a running back, right? Which running backs are a luxury to to draft. So, um, but they went and did that, and so now they have running back security if Dalvin gets hurt again. So I mean, I think that Alexander Madison is nothing more than a handcuff, um, and Dalvin Cook has a chance to be special this year. But you know, we'll see. Again, it's all about health. So I don't think that the Vikings have ever really shown a desire to have a committee backfield either. And so that's the one thing that brings me a lot of comfort with owning Dalvin Cook. I tried to make some moves for him, especially with the, all the Tyreek stuff. I was trying to trade Tyreek for Dalvin, and I think that he's a in a great situation. And if Dalvin does go down, Madison is going to end up in a grave situation as well. So th- that's a backfield that's going to have a primary back. Um, but I think there was there could be potentially concern because they ended up putting some decent capital into Madison that he could have a role. And I, I'm with you. I just don't think that that role is anything but a backup maybe some minor relief on certain downs. The Saints. So they've got Alvin Kamara. They just got Latavius Murray. I don't really know anyone else. I think they have Divine, uh, how do you say his name? Azigbo? Oh, Azigbo out there? Yeah, yeah he, he, they drafted him. Um, but really the two guys are, they lost Mark Ingram and now they replace him with Latavius Murray, who is not Jalen Richard, and it is Alvin Kamara. So what are your thoughts on that? Okay, the the joke there is that I'm one time mixed up Latavius Murray and Jalen Rashard for like a whole episode, and we had to refilm the whole thing because I goofed up. Sorry, guys. Pretty sure he's <laughs> gonna laugh when he's editing this. But uh, Alvin Kamara, Latavius, what do you think their split's gonna look like? Uh, it'll be similar to what they're doing with Mark Ingram. So Rich and I had a bet last year, and this was a this is I I thought it was a good bet, but. The bet was Alvin Kamara rushes for a thousand yards, and he did not because he doesn't get the usage that you hope he would. And so Rich kind of knew that going ahead, and and he placed his bet against me. Um, and so, yeah, and he won that bet. But basically, what I'm getting at is they don't want to give feed Kamara the ball that that many times, and so Latavius is there to fill exactly what Mark Ingram did, and they got him at a cheap price, and so that's what he's going to be. I do you like the question is do you like Latavius Murray's talent as much as you like Mark Ingram's talent? I don't, but it's all here's the thing. The Saints have always always produced the best running backs for fantasy. There's never been a year in the last 4 or 5 years where they're not top 3. So there's no reason not to invest high capital in Latavius Murray. I, I don't see how he gets out of the 4th round uh, of redrafts. There's no reason he should he should be, honestly, he should, probably shouldn't even get out of the third. I would be spending, I would be trying to acquire him. I should be trying to acquire him, honestly, um, in Dynasty and, and um, Keeper Leagues. I, I think that he's in a great situation. I don't know what his contract is off the top of my head, and I'm not, I'm not going to look it up because it makes a bunch of noise when I do. But if, I'm assuming it's over three years, and if it is, then he's someone that you can rely on over the course of the next couple of seasons because that is a great situation. You can't ask for a better situation than landing with New Orleans as far as a running back goes. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think they added him for four years, four mil, like, just like they did with Mark when they signed Mark. Uh, yeah, so Latavius Murray. Do you like Latavius Murray more than Tevin Coleman or Jarek McKinnon? Yeah. Yeah. But it's because I, I trust that backfield even more than I trust the Niners. And I like the Niners' backfield, too. I like that, situ- running, I like that situation. Um, but I tr- I don't have to worry about the Saints. I know it's going to be there. There's no doubt, not even for a hesitation. Out of all the backfields we've set, including the, the Rams, I trust that backfield the most. As far as that goes, let's move on to the Seahawks. So the Seahawks are such a weird backfield, Ben, because you had a high investment in Rashad Penny, who's not worth a penny, by the way. And then you've got Chris Carson. And they've got a flurry of other backs that have been relevant. You've got J.D. McKissick. You've got C.J. Procise. Still got Bo Scarborough on that roster. They added a couple more backs. What do you make of this backfield? Well, I think that this backfield is about as 50-50 as you can get because of what they invested in Penny. 
Um, and so obviously they like Carson, but I think that basically what's happening is teams don't care about your fantasy team, right? Absolutely not. <laughs> they need to get as many good players as they can. And they need to secure positions of importance with as many good, talented guys as they can, and they don't care where he comes from, right? He could be a seventh rounder or a first rounder, but they need a solidity at that position. And what we're going to see, this is really important, what we're going to see going into 2020 and into 2021 is extreme backfield running back saturation, where we see a lot of committees like this, where it's like both the guys are talented, both the guys are believed in, and you don't know what you're going to deal with. We're going to see a ton of that as we see more and more talent coming in from the draft. Um, and it's going to be you know, kind of crazy. So that RB saturation that you're dealing with when you see like the Seahawks have two you know, pretty guy, good guys that they're going to believe in or like the Pats picking up guys where it's just like that, there's so much talent in that backfield or the Browns picking, you know, and you're like, well, great. Now what do we do, right? That's going to yeah. be all over the place. So finding landing spots where there's like naked opportunity, like the like the bucks that we thought there was going to be, right? Yeah. Those are the landing spots that that you need to be paying attention to for the really good talents to go to. Yeah, and so Chris Carr Carson came along. He was a he did really well towards the end of the season whenever he was in that role, like uh, in the kind of premier role. But and, and you have to like Schottenheimer as a as an OC as far as running backs go. He did a great job with establishing a, a run game there. The problem is just you don't know who that running back is going to be. And usually that the guy for each game is getting 65 70% um, of the touches in that game, but you don't know which running back it was going to be last year. It could have been uh, Mike Davis. Like It could have been J.D. McKissick. It could have been C.J. Process. It, was, it could have been anybody. And because of that roulette, of who is going to get that, there is no way to be able to predict the situation. And I also just uh, backtrack on to Penny. Uh, I kind of denounced him, and it's because I hated him coming out of college. I, I watched his tape, did not understand why everybody liked him. He had some certain intangibles as far as his weight and his um, speed. But other than that, it was just like all this tape was just running 60 yards downfield untouched. And that doesn't show me anything as far as how skilled he is. That just means that he was able to run through one of the best offensive lines ever created in uh, mid-tier D1 NCAA. <laughs> so my, my point is just that I think that's a great example of when draft capital fails. And I just don't think there's any way to predict how that backfield turns out. So I don't want any pieces on it. I just... I can't trust it. If I can get something cheap there, I probably will because I like Schottenheimer as far as that, as far as a running back for fantasy purposes goes. Uh, I, I like his the way he, he conducts his offensive coordinating. <laughs> but um, yeah, I just I, I don't trust that backfield very much. Yeah. So with the upcoming RB saturation, I'm going to be adapting or adopting a buy one buy them both strategy, where whoever you get, you make sure you get the other guy on the team. I call that monopoly, um, and it's basically yeah. That that's like that is so critical now. Yeah, I, I think let's talk about that strategy a little bit more, just because since we're talking about these committee backfields, I think it's an important strategy to understand. Um, so essentially, I call it monopoly because in monopoly you're trying to buy all the different pieces of the same color so that you can build a monopoly, right? Um, it's the same same example for here. Let's so let's use the Patriots for an example. Uh, Patriots have Sonny Michelle. Uh, James White, Damian Harris. I would want to buy at least two, hopefully all three of the pieces, so that way I can guarantee whichever one of those backs ends up being the guy, or if there ends up being like a 60-40 uh, split between, or a 70-30 split between Michelle and uh, James White. I have Sony that I can throw in my, um, in my RB1, RB2 spot, and then I can throw White in my flex. So those are the kind of backfields whenever I'm playing Monopoly that I want. I want either a backfield where I know one of them for sure will be the 70-80% guy, or I want one where the other guy can be a solid flex option that I can start both of them. Any feedback on that? Yeah, I love it. So um, the, I think the, the best way to do it is to find the cheapest guys you can get. So 
I did it last year with the Packers running backs, and I grabbed Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones in every league, and that paid off. And all you had to do was give up, you know, your 10th round pick and your 11th round pick, and you got and you secured a backfield with Aaron Rodgers as a quarterback, and they're going to run the ball and do whatever they want because they got Aaron spread in the field. So when you have opportunities to do that and pay almost nothing to get an RB2 or an RB1, that, that's where it's at. Let's dive into them because I think they're one of the most genuinely, uh, at least seemingly to the common observer, I think they're one of the most genuinely up for grabs uh, backfields because I think they do want to have a true guy um, and we just don't know who that's going to be. But I, I agree with what your opinion is going to be, I think. Uh, tell me a little bit about uh, which guy you like between Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams, and then you got Dexter Williams, who they just drafted out of Notre Dame. Yeah, so I'm all in on Aaron Jones. I love him. Um, really loved him in the, again, the pre-draft process, um, scouting him. I thought um, he's a super good athlete. He can do anything you want him to do. And basically, it's just all about health, right? And so... That's the only thing that's been holding him back, and then now that he's... Well, he's, that and the, the, the long arm of the law. <laughs> yeah, but no one's got longer arms than Aaron Jones. Have you seen those things? No. Are they little? They're super long. He's got like... I, 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 they don't actually measure that long, but if you watch his UTEP tape, he has the longest arms, and he will like stiff arm anybody with those arms. So, yeah, like, anyways. But so, Aaron Jones, I, I think you... I'm all in on him, and so wherever there's any hesitation with anybody else, like I'll, I'll buy that all day. I think he's a top 10 running back easy, and uh, yeah, he can do anything. He can be that, that guy that, that does everything for, for the Packers. So Would this be a backfield that, uh, back that you would play Monopoly in, or would you just put all your, your money on Jones and let it go? No, I would play Monopoly, definitely. Um, oh, really? So you've seen Jamal have success when Jamal's on his own. And I think Dexter is good enough to where he can come in and fill a spot. But it's more of like an injury situation, right? Jones has enough injury risk where you'd still want Jamal. And Jamal will put up good numbers. Um, and so, yeah, i I definitely play that there. Wow. Okay, yeah. I, I would probably just go for Jones because I think he's the better talent. But that makes yeah. sense. I, I think it's also because why not invest in the Packers or BA? It's a good offense. Like anytime you're in one of these offensive situations where – hey, this offense is a good offense. And they're not a, like the Eagles, they're not a, a hyper committee type of backfield. So why not? It, it's only a couple of guys, like two guys. If you can get right. both of those pieces, you for sure have whoever rises to the top. So you don't have to worry about it. You guys are hilarious. I'm glad I'm that- glad we're on a podcast where nobody knows any names. <laughs> Where we only talk about names. I don't know. What do you guys think about... Uh, uh, what, uh, <laughs> what do you we, think about Jared McKinnon? Uh, we, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait. Uh, who's on, who else is on the, that team? I was so <laughs> destroyed <laughs> during Game of Thrones just well, because I was Devonta, constantly trying to figure out Devonta where Booker? Aaron Rodgers was. They, who's that? Did they just pick him up? Devonta Booker? He's been on the team for three years. He was on the team with CJ Anderson. I don't know. Who was. <laughs> Who's that guy from Oklahoma? You mean Mark Andrews? Yeah, Mark Andrews. Yeah. <laughs> James White. He was a Super Bowl MVP, right? Yeah, yeah he was. Yeah, he was. Oh, all right. <laughs> okay. Just guess next time. That, that one was intentional. That one was like. Was I deleted that. I was I making a point. A I deleted a couple. I'm making of a point. Well, it was not made very well with that question. I'm a freaking attorney. I always ask rhetorical questions. It's my job. Uh, it's called cross-examination. Uh, not buying it. So the only reason I don't believe it now is because you asked several questions that you- Mark Andrews, I couldn't much, remember his name. You that, very much James did not- James I definitely knew. That was intentional. Nick, Nick Chubb, does he, does he have two years? How, two or three, how old is Nick Chubb? Man. What school do you go to? <laughs> <laughs> Nick Chubb, Morgan G. Freeman, <laughs> Morgan. I'm not convinced. I could you not think of Gus Bus. You know who you, Royce Freeman you was. Couldn't remember you couldn't think of Royce Freeman's first name at all. <laughs> he has a great nickname, and you went with Morgan Freeman because you didn't know his first name. You're right, 100. <laughs> percent Rolls then, Royce. Yeah. What, and what school did he go to? Yeah, what school did he go to? Oregon. Oregon. Rolls Royce. I knew that one as oh. well. 
Want to talk okay. about that trade? Yeah, let's talk about that. Trade. I think that's super interesting. That's right. a so here's, here's what happened. Leak morals, right? Yeah. Two, two things that happened. First of all, the audio leaked in what what month was that? Is that November? I don't remember. Yeah, it was it was later. It was like late November, I want to say. Um, so <laughs> whenever the audio or the video re-released, I sent a trade offer to Risher for. Kareem Hunt for uh, Kenny Galladay and, and Phil Lindsay. And at that, I still think if Kareem doesn't get kicked off the team, that's a great trade, right? Yeah. You were giving up Philip Lindsay and Kenny Galladay to get Kareem Hunt. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Right. Okay. All in the same picture. Okay. So I made that trade offer after the, the video released. However, between the time I made that trade offer and the time it was accepted, the Chiefs released him. So I was unaware of this because I was in the middle of finals and I had made the offer while I was studying. And oh. I knew that the information leaked, but I wasn't keeping up with it continually because I was obviously not 100% focused on fantasy. And during that time, Richard made a really good decision and accepted the offer while I still had it out there before I had an opportunity to pull it back. I actually think I pulled back several other offers. I, I removed them. And that but was not- the one I either accidentally left it up or I... Um... Rich beat you to it. Yeah. yeah so I, was, I was with Ben that whole time. And I was like, dude, what do I do here? Because I know he's been released. And I don't know if Brooks knows that Kareem Hunt has been released. And like, I would... I kind of feel bad. So I let it, I let the trade sit for a little while. And like, I think, I think we ended up getting a text from Brooks in the group chat for our league or something. And so at that point I knew he'd had enough opportunity to withdraw it. And Ben said, if you, if your roles were reversed, what would Brooks do? And Brooks would absolutely accept that trade in a heartbeat. He would have done it way faster than I did. Correct. And so at that point, I did not feel bad. And I went on to come in second place in the league behind Philip Lindsay Kenny, and Kenny Galladay. They weren't the only reason, but. Dang, you got second place. Freaking second place, dude. That sucks. Have you ever won a championship? Not uh, in the Rich League, because there's Anyways. only one. So, yeah, that was the try. I think it was a great try. I, and I, I agree with what Richard did. And that's why I didn't protest it. It didn't make a big deal out of it. I gave him a little bit of a hard time about it, just trying to make him feel guilty. But I absolutely agree with that. And I, I think that anytime you have an opportunity to do something that might not be honorable, but it's within the rules, you should do it because that's how games are played. 